Hi, everyone. This is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Caroline Woods, a PhD candidate at KU Leuven, who recently joined us for a webinar on pregnancy and monitoring glucose availability throughout the reproductive timeline of a mouse model. Let's dive in. first question is, what diet are these mice on? Well, before the study, they are just on a regular maintenance maintenance chow. So it's just a rat and mice chow. And then from the moment they are implanted, we change the diet to a breeding diet, which has some extra nutrients so that the mice can carry out, carry on through their full pregnancy properly. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. The next question here is, Did you notice any glucose changes or spikes when the animals were being handled or when people were entering the room that they were housed in? Yes. So first of all, during the glucose tolerance tests, we also measured manually using a glucometer because we wanted to know whether there was a good correlation between the glucometer and the continuous glucose monitoring. And actually, in those traces, glucose traces, we see that at time point one hour, you can actually observe that there is a small increase, which we do not have if we don't measure the glucose manually. So this small increase there is probably due to mouse handling, so measuring the blood glucose. And then besides that, we also, so I mentioned that we did the video monitoring and I did not only look at when the mice were eating and when they stopped, but I also took into account when they were, when the, the, the cage was opened or when someone passed by or, or stuff like that. And so I also noted this down. And here we also saw indeed that there was an increase in blood glucose. But of course, this increase is a lot smaller compared to when they eat or when you inject glucose, of course. Okay, that makes sense. All right. The next question here is for the glucose tolerance tests, what food or substance did you administer to carry out that test? We injected a 30% glucose solution and we did it orally, so via Gavash, and the dose was 2.5 grams per kilogram body weight of the mouse. Great. A couple of people had that question, so thank you for that. The next question here is, the area under the curve after an oral glucose tolerance test increases with gestation. Glycemia, however, increases and then decreases. Are you able to explain that? Yeah, that's indeed true. Well, then we can think of the important difference between a glucose tolerance test and when the mice are just calmly in their cage. So during a glucose tolerance test, you first of all, you inject a high glucose dose, which is higher than what the mouse would eat normally. You also handle the mouse, so you administer the glucose, which is already completely different from continuous glucose monitoring. So the the average glycemia that we took while the mouse was just calmly, calmly in their cage. So maybe that's why where the difference comes from. And then it might be that so when the mouse is given a lot of glucose there is this there is a a worse insulin or a worse insulin sensitivity compared to the lower glucose values that occur 
normally in the normal behavior of the mouse. So maybe that's that's where the difference comes from. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. All right. The next question here is, have you done this in mice that have undergone many pregnancies? And if so, how does one pregnancy compare to many? And also a very interesting talk. <laughs> yes. So initially we started doing this in mice that only underwent the first pregnancy. Uh, no, uh, that, that was their first pregnancy. So they were virgins before we implanted the transmitter. However, later on, we also used, now we're using mice that already went through a first pregnancy. Sorry, what was the second part of the question again? The second part of that question was, how does the data that you collected differ between a single pregnancy and then a mouse that has undergone many pregnancies? Yeah, so we've never measured continuous glucose monitoring of two consecutive pregnancies in one mouse. So unfortunately, I can actually not answer that question. It's That's okay. um, <laughs> there is it, it's possible that there is indeed a difference. Mainly, yeah, there's a lot of differences between the first pregnancy and, and, and further pregnancy, mainly for black six mice that are not too good mothers. However, I, I cannot answer that in, in the same because we haven't done it the continuous glucose monitoring. It would take too long. It would not be possible to measure more than one pregnancy yeah, okay. consecutively. That makes sense. Okay, related to mothering behavior, did you notice the implantation of transmitters changing the outcome of the pregnancy and how good of a mother mice were after they delivered? Yeah, so we had a look at, indeed, so we, we compared the transmitter mice with the sham mice and, and the, the pregnancy on its own and the, the pups and the litter. We saw that there was the same amount of pups born and the same, and they had the same body weight. So during pregnancy, they probably have very, very little influence of the transmitter. Then after pregnant, after pregnancy, so after delivery, there was one time, one group that really had a worse survival of the pups. However, this was really only one time that we saw this. It might be due to the fact that the lead is subcutaneously, so maybe there is less, so there's less uh, nipples available for breastfeeding. However, it's only one time that we saw this and all the experiments that we have performed afterwards, we didn't see any more mortality in the pups from the mothers with the transmitter. Okay. Yeah. And also the, the, yeah, as I said, black six mice are really bad mothers for sure for the very first time in the pregnancy when they were pregnant. Okay. All right. So the next question here is, how long is the delay between consuming food and then the associated glucose spike? And is it different between pregnant and non-pregnant mice? Mm-hmm. Okay, I did not exactly measure how much the delay was between consuming the food and the spike. However, what we did measure was the, the time to the peak for the glucose excursions, which is around 16 minutes which is actually very similar to what you see in a glucose tolerance test. So in a glucose tolerance test, you also administer glucose and then usually around 15 minutes or a bit earlier even, you can see uh, the peak. What, what we did see, what we also measured, 
was the glucose increase, so the, the glucose uptake, and the glucose decrease, so the glucose clearance in, from the blood. And we observed that this was slower during pregnancy. So in that sense, you could say that the glucose excursion, so the glucose dynamics were slower. And then before, before and after pregnancy, they were, the glucose excursions were more sharp. Okay. So it's just more of a delay in the clearance of glucose and, and everything yeah. during pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you know if that is similar in human pregnancies as well? I do not know that because unfortunately there's very little data available in, in pregnant women or in healthy pregnant women, moreover. But as I also mentioned during the presentation, you can observe that there, the amplitude goes higher during pregnancy in pregnant women. So right after eating, the amplitude of, of the glucose excursion is higher, which we also saw in our mice. Okay, interesting. Cool. Thanks. That was just a personal curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we have another question here. Did you have any issues with the implant no longer collecting data because of a long latency? So basically, did you get the full course reading from implant to postnatal for all of the mice that were implanted? No, indeed, some mice, for some reason, really take a lot of time to get pregnant. For most mice, they get pregnant very fast. So in the, within the first week, however, some of them really, they took two weeks to get pregnant and then indeed you miss already two weeks while the transmitter is implanted and sometimes it, the, the transmitter still makes it because uh, the transmitter can really measure for a very long time but not for all mice this didn't work out for all mice so indeed for some mice we have we don't have the full 29 days of data Okay. The recovery period from implantation to when you put them in the breeding cages, how long is that? We take around one week. So we um, implant the mice and then we wait at least a week where we really follow them up daily. We measure the body weight, so on and so on. Um, usually after six days, they are fine already, but we still wait an extra day for, to be sure. And then if some, sometimes a mouse needs a little bit more time, we also give it to them because it's important that they're healthy before you start the study, of course. But normally it's around one week. Maybe one day a mouse takes eight days instead of seven. Okay, makes sense. Thanks. We've got a couple more questions here. So this next question is, what is the time resolution that you're using to record for the extent of the pregnancy? So how often are you sampling? We have a, sam a blood glucose sample every 10 seconds. Okay, yeah. so it's a pretty tight, pretty tight timeline. Yeah, so we have blood glucose for every 10 seconds and that during 29 days long. Yeah, so it's quite a, a lot of data. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty comprehensive. How long does it take you to analyze all of that data? So. As I mentioned, we have the Python script that we wrote. And when, when we have that, it just takes, you just insert the data there and then you let it run. It usually takes a good weekend, maybe a bit longer. So two, three days for all the mice. So that doesn't take that long. So we're very happy that now we have the Python script and, and the analysis can go very fluently. Yeah, that's amazing. And <laughs> yeah. so the only part that takes you a really long time is really the, the video monitoring. 
Uh, how long does that take to analyze? <laughs> yeah, that takes a lot longer, <laughs> unfortunately. We haven't come up with a, a solution for analyzing that, but that takes, oh, I would say you can, of course, you can um, make it go faster a bit of a bit while the mouse is sleeping, for example. So you can do around 36 hours per, per workday. Amazing. Um, sometimes yeah. it goes a bit faster, sometimes it goes a bit slower. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of data to watch and analyze. Are you doing that all by yourself? Yes, yeah, so far, yes. <laughs> but so that's why we also decided to do only three days during the full pregnancy. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> awesome. All right, we do have another question here. This question is a little more philosophical. This person has asked, as continuous glucose monitoring use is becoming increasingly popular in human pregnancy, what new and significant data do you think we can achieve from utilizing this technique in animals that we can't in human women? Yes, it's indeed, it's becoming more easily available. However, they're not going to use continuous glucose monitoring for gestational diabetes yet. So indeed for type 1 diabetic patients used more often already. But unfortunately, well, yeah, for continuous, uh, for um, gestational diabetes, it's not used that often. Also, because it's often only, well, it's only tested at the end of pregnancy. So then the time span that they would have this device for is very short. So still there is a lot of information lacking there. Well, and then of course, as a second point, <laughs> we cannot do, we cannot perform studies on, on, on pregnant women. There are very strict ethical questions there. So why this continuous glucose monitoring in pregnant mice is so useful and important is because we can look, first of all, we can test several drugs. Well, actually, first of all, we can have a look at genetically manipulated mice, so knockout mice or knock-in mice or whatever you want and whatever it can be existing. <laughs> and then second of all, if we would find a good animal model for gestational diabetes, we could be, we would be able to start testing drugs in, in that way, get more information about what may help in uh, pregnant women. Awesome. Yeah, I guess it, it does make sense having uh, someone normal, healthy, human, pregnant woman wouldn't necessarily go to the doctor unless she was experiencing, experiencing symptoms. So yeah, you don't have no, that like healthy data, which makes sense. Yeah, so Belgium at least, but I think in most countries, every woman, every pregnant woman gets tested, get, receives an oral glucose tolerance test in the beginning of the third trimester. Yeah, I think that's standard yeah. here in Canada as well. So yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, All so right. end of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. This question is regarding your Python script. Uh, this person wants to know if you have made it open source for people to use. So far, it's not open source, but we would we would be happy to share if people get in contact with us so that we know what for and why and maybe make some adaptations together for the use that the person wants to use it. Great. Uh, so um, we're yep, always, so uh, it, sorry, <laughs> we're no, uh, happy okay. to, to collaborate and, and help people out using our Python script. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in accessing that open source Python script, please just let us know in the Q&A and we'll make sure to pass that information on to Caroline and she can get in touch with you via email. 
And I totally lied. I have one last question for you. This is a personal curiosity question. Where do you see the future of this research going? So as I mentioned already, I really think we should invest in finding good animal models for gestational diabetes. So if so in our case in the lab, we have candidate, which might be a good animal model for, for gestational diabetes. And once we have tested this, we might be able to test drugs and so on. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.